welcome to Future's Edge podcast. I'm Jim Urio, and we, it, with always behind the scenes and co-host Bob Iacchino, who's the brains behind the operation, and I'm lucky to have him even let me sit in front of the camera and talk, which is my favorite thing to do. But today we have one of our old buddies, one of our friends, Scott Shelley of RFD TV's The Cow Guy Close every day. At what time can they catch you on that, Scott? One Central, two Eastern. One Central, two Eastern every day. It's a fabulous show, particularly on Fridays. Particularly Fridays are the, uh, when the show starts at one o'clock. Whoever that guest is, man, that guy, that guy knows what he's talking about. Is all I'm telling. It doesn't you. matter if he knows what he's talking about. He's just downright good looking. He's just downright good looking too. Whatever his name is, we'll figure that out later. Um, we have a lot to talk about. This is a. These are interesting times we live in. Um, everything seemed to change. You know, so my my specialty is, is short term rates, as you guys know. Uh, I've uh, been trading and brokering those for forever. And over the last, since that fateful Friday of the CPI 8.6, it has been an absolute cluster. Things have changed so rapidly from pricing in the Fed, 75 basis points, 75 basis points. What are the price now for the July meeting? 75 as well, right? That's what Fed funds yes. are saying. Yeah. So, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about where the macroeconomic condition is. Was that CV, CPI a reliable read? Are there things like, again, I'll get to the question real quick. You know, I like to hear myself talk. Are there things like liquidity being drawn out the market by asset price collapses already working to slow down the economy? What do you see? I see two things. We have, we have uh, st a standard uh, tightening, which is the Fed with their interest rate hikes. And we've got something I, I call synthetic tightening, which is everything else that's more expensive for you, right? And so we've got two things going on. Number one, a three-quarter percent hike in, in you know Wednesday with the, our, our rate here in the U.S. And we also have everything else you have to pull your wallet out getting more expensive by the day, whether it be food and fuel. I don't want to go down the litany of things. So here's my argument. I understand that the Fed's only got a couple of tools to fight inflation with, right? But I think that they're mostly backward looking. I think it's very difficult for the Fed to try to gauge what the economy is going to be doing in three months from now. And they have a hard time. They've always had a hard time judging that. And I think that this time around, for them to bust through that door, and I think they only came through that door because there was about 10 or 15 investment banks out of 30, by the way, that thought, three quarters of a percent would have been okay, that they thought this is our chance to look tough. Because they always talk a tough game, but they usually deliver dovishness, okay? And so I said in our in our, in our our meeting with Ashley that morning, she vouches, she's here. I think it's going to be a half. I'm 51.49, a half versus three quarters, but I can understand their reasoning. But their reasoning isn't an economic one. It's the market's giving us a chance to look big. And I felt like they came through that door, beat their chest, Look how tough we are. It's three quarters of a percent. It's almost like that family at your barbecue on your Thursday afternoon club at your house, and they come over for a few cocktails, and you're wondering why that guy's being such a jerk to his kid. It's like he's disciplining his, his kid at, for the, at the wrong time for the wrong reason, right? I felt that was Jay Powell. Yeah. And so I believe that for the, in the last eight weeks, the Fed, the Atlanta Fed downgrading GDP growth is zero. Uh, retail sales cratering, Philly Fed Index cratering, Michigan Sentiment Survey cratering. I feel as though that the sand underneath our feet is very, very shaky. I believe the economy is very, very shaky. There's a high likelihood by September our non-farm payroll number could be negative. And they wanted to come out of the box and be the Billy Big I am right now to beat their chest because they did a three-quarter percent hike. I think we're going to see negative jobs growth by in the next four months. And I think we probably end up cutting rates sometime next year. So here, one to underscore your point, the one thing that that led me to believe for certain it was 75, they invoked the name of Paul Volcker twice within the last like month. So for guys who've been around as long as the three of us have, we understand what that means. That's a subliminal message like I'm going to be the gallant and forceful and fierce yeah. inflation fighter. Yeah. Paul Volcker is, is an 8% move. Yeah. Yeah, but not that's not three quarters. Not, not three quarters. Yeah, no, quarters they can't be eight percent though. <laughs> well, I, I understand that, so stop using Volker. Yeah, well, you're talking about them, not me, right? I know, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, good. But do you know you understand what I'm saying? They use the name. They, that's part of the beating the chest, saying I'm a tough guy and I'm going to take care of this. And and but again, you mentioned one thing that Scott's alluding to 
is that high prices are a cure for high prices. Um, you know, people will start changing their behaviors and demand destruction, and we're beginning to see it. One thing you didn't mention, I want to ask you how much a big deal you think it is. Let's just go over the losses and asset prices. The crypto market itself went from $3 trillion to $900 billion. The stock market has probably lost. I don't know exactly what the dollar amount is. Bobby, 11, probably trillion, has. 11 trillion. And yeah, we're going to say three times that amount. Yeah, okay, good. So $11 trillion. So now we're talking, then we're talking about the NFT market, whatever the hell that is or why we were talking about it when we were, because it was absolutely asinine. Ridiculous. You're going to buy Ridiculous. imaginary shit. That's really what you're going to do with your money. So if we ever you want to know, guys, people going forward, if you want to know where there's too much liquidity in the system, when people are fighting each other to buy imaginary shit, I heard some, oh no, I can't even tell that story because Bobby, can I tell an off garlic story about the way, the way somebody oh, uh, described NFTs to me? He goes, it's like being married. And you have the marriage certificate to prove it, but everyone else can have sex with your wife. That's what he said about the <laughs> NFT market. You're That's the one who opinion. owns it. You're the one who owns it. Okay. So anyway, so uh, let's get back to, but anyway, you haven't mentioned the liquid, the, uh, the thing that asset prices have just been cratering. That's a big part of it too, right? That's what I'm, okay. Asset prices cratering. That's because the feds are now raising rates at the same time. You know, you have farmers, operational loans going through the roof. Because all these things are, are set to a level where they're all adjusting, right? Nobody, not that many people have arms in their homes. But operational loans for your business are all adjusting, right? So these guys, that's going to hurt them. All the people with, all the people that believe that the Fed's going to get out of this, get out of this quick form because they say they're going to get out of it quickly, are, are putting all this money on credit cards, credit card usage through the roof, savings for the lower half. Now, saving rates for rich people is still fine. Lower half is plummeting. So, because everybody believes it's going to be a short-term thing. So here's my biggest argument of all time. You're going to put your faith in the people that got us into this to get us out of it. Shame on you. Shame on us. Yeah, amen to that. And now to underscore a couple of Scott's points too. First, look at the housing market. Just in the last um, probably 10 days, mortgage applications plummet. Uh, number of houses inventory has gone up like between 10 and 12%. Uh, the number of houses that have lowered their prices has gone up. The numbers out of California that just came out today are even more stark than that. Inventory is having. So the worm has definitely turned there. Credit cards, you mentioned credit cards. We were at a very, very low rate of credit card defaults several weeks ago. That number has started to move higher. So to me, it seems like the recession is already here. The worm has turned, no? Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't have enough of a following. I'm not that big of a person in the business to say it's here, but I believe it is here. I think that with the Fed, look, we had an expectation of 1.1% growth in Q1. What did we miss that by? Two and a half percent? We came in with minus 1.4. What is that, 2.3%? So, I mean, we're now expecting zero. There's a high likelihood that could come in as a negative. And then here's the thing, Jimmy, I just had Dan Geltrude and Keith Fitzgerald on with myself, and I got mad about this, and I think that they did too. They were all frustrated. We have 100 years of, over 100 years of experience between the three of us. And we've never seen the Fed tighten into the teeth of a recession. No, and it's happening. It's, and it's crazy. Happening. And it's that's yeah. that's out of your mind, crazy stuff. So I, I don't I don't know where to turn from here because I understand the rock and the hard place, but that rock just got bigger and the hard place just got harder. Yeah. But they put us they put us into it. And so right. here's the key. We have the key to the kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, the key of the kingdom. Unleash the Kraken, which is our oil. If we get our oil energy situation taken care of, that'll take care of 60 to 70% of our inflation problem. And I believe you don't even have to have the oil hit the map. They can just say they're going to do it. Open Keystone, build a refinery, do this, do that. They could jawbone crude oil down to 75 bucks a barrel. I agree completely. And Bobby, I'm, you know, Bobby normally asks the questions. I was going to ask him to come in for questions as you mentioned oil, but I want him to answer a question first real quick, because I think that the Fed is absolutely needs to usher in a recession. That, that's what they thought too. But the only way that, well, that not need to, they're going to do that is what I meant. They've decided to do that. Um, the only way that that recession can be shallow and short-lived is if we pivot 180 on, on crude. Bobby, do you agree? And what do you got to add to that? You know, I, um, First of all, I want to give a shout out to Ashley, the producer, who said something yesterday. Um, oh don't, don't make a face. Don't make a face. Yesterday, she sent me an email. Saying, right here. Scott, 
Yeah, tell her to come on here because she said she sent me an email yesterday that said, hey, Scott wants to talk about XYZ on the show, right? I don't remember what it was, but she said, I've never seen Scott this mad except since yesterday. And you're actually <laughs> getting that on display right now. Every five minutes, Scott's like, oh my God, these idiots, which I love. He used to be in the booth with us, like we'd be waiting to do TV spots and you'd be there or I'd be there, Scott would be there. And every five minutes, Scott was like, Bob, no, you're wrong on that. And the screaming would start and I'd be like, I I'm gonna go get coffee. Just take a, take a minute, take a breath. He's, anyway, he's really Ashley, that was a fantastic. I laughed for 15 minutes on that email. My question to Scott is this. You talk about the Fed wanting to be like, they wanted to come in and say they were a tough guy. I have a little bit of a different view on it. And I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. Because I think I might be. I think it's like, I'm a big Marvel fan. And one of my favorite characters is the Hulk. Shocking. I'm Italian. Um, the, they used to push him and push him and push him. And I remember him saying one time, Mr. McGee in that show, the, the Lou Ferrigno, I don't remember the other little guy show. He said, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I imagine Jerome Powell going, seriously, you're pushing me into a corner here. Seriously. Okay, inflation on me. You got it. Done. 75, 70, 50, 75, 75. Watch the recession come. You know, they put out the uh, strategic um, economic projections, right? Which is the, the SEP, the Fed's projections of what they think is the most likely outcome. And I have them in front of me. I have them right here. And basically they're looking at the next couple of years of 2% GDP, one, I'm sorry, between 1.8 and 2.5% GDP, inflation at two and unemployment at four. All right, I'll, I'll have what they're smoking. That'd be great, right. thank Hello, you. Hello, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, here's, here's kind of the thing. What else are they supposed to do? Are they really supposed to go, okay, we're raising rates 75 basis points, I mean, I know this is what you want, Scotty, because you're all about just tell me the truth. I'll deal with it. Right. As long as I've known you, that's how you've been. But are they really supposed to put out? So we're going to go 75. We just went 50. We're going to fight inflation. We think unemployment is going to be 10 percent. And we think GDP is going to be negative 1.6. And we think inflation is going to be four. Are they really supposed okay. to do that? Well, OK, let me ask let me ask you this question, then, mm -hmm. because I think transparency kills like speed kills. OK. Why do we got to be so transparent? What's this whole thing about telling anybody anything? I mean, when you bought that Chicago T-shirt on the rack across the street of the Cubby Bear, right? And it said, this T-shirt is eight bucks here. Down the road, it's nine. Up the road, it's 650. That's transparency. Is that good for that T-shirt place? No. Transparency kills. Why do they got to be so truthful? Why don't they just get up and say, uh, we'll see you next month. We're data dependent. Have a nice night. Amen. Yeah, no, that's actually a, re a remarkable me? point. That's a remarkable yeah, point. No, Bobby, let me just shoot in real quick. Not only transparency, because they're telling you what their thoughts are and where they projected, and they've proven to be bad at projecting things. They're not, and I'm not even one of these big Fed bashers all the time, but I'm saying they're below average at prognosticating, yet the market acts like, well, they said they're going to go 50 in eight months. What the hell are we talking about? They have no idea if they're going 50 in eight months. I agree with you 100% that the transparency thing ends up being a bad thing. Okay, so here's a question, man. You can't pivot. I here's a question, man. I just say one thing, and oh, I know good. I was not invited to talk, but are you what kidding me? Come on, it's Friday afternoon. I'll say one thing and then I'll scoot back over to where the ice and beverages are. We were sitting here on, what was it? Was it Wednesday? Wednesday morning. When, and I was like, it's going to be 75. He's like, no, it's 50. I was like, it's going to be 75. We never really talked about why either of us was feeling this way. It was just more of, of a bet. Like, what's it going to be? But to highlight what you just said, Jim, about the Fed bringing up in the last month, twice at least, invoking Volcker's name, I was like, mm, all right, that's it. And listen, I'm a person who knows nothing. I, I, my, my part in this of us is I'm the TV person. I have the experience in TV that he has in the markets I'm just here to make it look pretty and to present it in a clever kind of way and help him learn how to do that. So 
all, I'm still very new to the business world and this kind of news. But the reason, like the, the real true reason is because they have screwed up and made the wrong decision every single step of the way. And to me, I was like, they're going to do 75 because it's the- <laughs> It's the wrong thing to do. Thing to do. It's, it's the wrong thing to do. Right, and that is what, yes, it is whatever they should not be doing is what they end up doing. That's just harking back to every bad relationship any of us have ever had. And you know, <laughs> yeah. that's really the, kind of the same thing. But whatever I will say, I want to say something. You're clearly doing. Right, something kind of serious because some people might watch and be saying that for a year, most of us, I assume you guys too, were screaming that the Fed should have been tightening 15 months ago. The Fed should have been yeah. stopping buying mortgage-backed bonds 15 years ago. And they're like, oh, then you, you can say that then they, sh they should have been tightening, but now they shouldn't be tightening. Absolutely, we can say that. Timing is everything in this game. And they blew the timing right. part of it. They had a chance to get out. They didn't. Scott. So we have other we have other sources of information, which I'm sure you guys do. We get all that stuff across the decks. But I'm reading, I'm still reading information that says that we we that the CPI is going to be closer to nine for the next two to four months than it is to eight. And if that happens, he's going to tighten some more. And I'm telling you, they're going to ignore the fact that we are hurting at the ground level, just like Granholm has no idea about energy, just like Biden has no idea about energy. Just like a lot of other people in the cabinet have no idea about a lot of the things that they're supposed to do. I, I'm saying right now, they're they're going to overshoot it again, like they undershoot all the time, and we could be in big time trouble. That's my that's my big worry. And so, when in our lifetime, guys, just stick, it's, it's 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 as stark to me as this, Jimmy. Uh, the government's going to let you open your business up to 25% capacity. Uh, just so you can go out of business slower. I mean, it's absolute ridiculousness. So oh, is this God. Fed. This Fed policy is ridiculousness because the key to opening it up is our energy policy. That will take 60 to 70% of our price problems away, but we just won't do it. So we can't fight this unless we get the energy policy done. So if we can't fight it, then we're in for a, a really difficult time. So I don't know, I'm gonna, what we're talking about here is government and the things they've done over the last couple of years that have just been astounding in their hubris and astounding in how stupid they are. And I've just, I don't know if you guys saw the article and have been up to date on the Sri Lankan situation. So in April of uh, 2001, the Sri Lankan government and all their infinite wisdom banned legally the import of synthetic fertilizer and said that every farmer had to use organic domestically produced um, fertilizer. Since then, the prime minister who's reversed the policy like eight months later said, yeah, I, I thought we had enough, but apparently I wasn't informed properly. And guess what? They've missed a whole season of growing. People are dying. Their number one export is tea. They didn't grow any tea. They have, they're, they're completely, they're in a, such a messed up way. And it's all from what we're talking about here. These people come and they think they know better. They don't know better. Do you have any comments on that? Well, of course I do, because we have uh, we could, if we have a wet fall and these guys are pulling the stuff out of the ground, they dry it with propane. How much is that going to be? Oh God! I mean, and so the risk that most farmers right now—I mean, I'm I'm 25% in the ag ag world, right? We we have a family farm. If they lose the prices at the board right now, the the board prices we've got going on in Chicago, because they've already paid for their inputs, which have been through the roof up front, they need the outputs to be through the roof too. If they're not, they're in big, big trouble. And then we don't have people making food anymore. Now, I don't want to be too hyperbolic. We're going to somehow get something together here. But I'm telling you what, we have already tight stocks. We've got now a heat wave coming through the U.S., which is historic. We've got a dry, historically dry Western U.S. We have food problems. We have fuel problems. Um, there's a guy by the name of, uh, I can't, he's a Greek guy on the East Coast who's a bigger oil refiner billionaire himself, right? Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's so wealthy. He also owns a bunch of those small grocery stores that you see in New York, like just for people. That oh, I know the guy. I, uh, I know the guy. Uh, he's a I friend of Larry Kudlow's. He was the guy right, who ran exactly. for mayor and lost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
can't remember his name either. And he looked, he looked, he looked in the camera this weekend and said, "Somebody's trying to destroy our country from within." He's at the, he's at the cutting edge of food and fuel. He's got a, he's a refiner, and he's got grocery stores. He says somebody's trying to destroy our country. I don't know where this comes from. I understand a lot of these things come from a noble idea in the first place. And I get Buttigieg, I get Granholm. I understand that everybody would like to be on wind and solar, but it's only 5% of what we do right now. It, 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 it can't it's handle it. It's digital currency. Yeah, right. And then we're going, Ashley's yelling at me. And then now we have the digital currency problem. So we have uh, so many energy issues that we're not confronting right now. It's all right to me right now about energy. If we can get that under control, and it's not hard. It's not hard. Go ahead, Joe. So, Bob, you know, first to you and then to Scott, we talked about, you know, they clearly have to pivot on energy policy and they have to do it in a grand way. Is that even, that. isn't that, pop, is that even possible, Bobby? Will that ever happen? No. And then Scott, you next. It, it's not possible in this particular administration because the only chance they have of, of maintaining power, and I'm not saying, I'm not coming from a political angle on this. We talked about this not at all. before. Politicians product is you and it generates votes for them, which is their currency. So in order to generate votes, they have to continue to appeal to their base. So they can't pivot. The interesting thing, to stay on sort of your example about NFTs, Jimmy, the Biden administration is now going to oil producers and basically saying, look, I'm going to date you for a couple of years. I need you to build me a big yes. house. You yes. pay for yes. it. And then I need you in five, 10 years. I need you to move out. I'm keeping the house. <laughs> you know, it's not, they're not going to go for it. They're just not. Um, there's someone I might actually do that for. Whole nother conversation. So, but anyway, from a perspective of what they're trying to do with energy now to pressure the energy com companies to do something that's not physically possible. When I started in the business, there were 279 refineries. There's 109 now. Um, it takes about 10 years for a refinery to be profitable. So people talk about the production of crude oil. Okay, that's fine. There's at, right now, the production of crude oil is not that far off of demand. Not to the point where we'd have 116, 117. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Did please. you see the numbers on, on Wednesday? Yeah. I made a guy on TV here say them twice. We're, we're, we're doing 12 million barrels a day. Last year was 11.2. Yeah. We're already overproducing last year. Yeah. So, so it's a refining well, issue is what Scott's saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing that I always look at when, yeah. when those numbers come out is I look at the refinery utilization numbers. First thing I search for. And it's literally at the top of the condensed PDF that the IEA puts or the EIA puts out. 93.7% this past week. 94.2 before that. Just so you know, 95% is considered full capacity because through the, the 109 refineries that we have, there's always a piece of the refinery that needs repair, needs maintenance. It never gets to 100%. 95% is literally all out. And then where do they put it? So one of the things they can do is suspend the Jones Act, right? The Jones Act yes. forbids refined product from being shipped out of non-US yeah. flagged vehicles, okay, uh, ships. So if they suspend the Jones Act, you could take some of that refined product, put it on Cypriot ships or, or um, you know, German ships or something else and ship that stuff out so the refineries can now produce more product and get it out to other places, but they can't do it. They, and there's a shortage of those ships. Shipping costs are through the roof. When you talk about prices at the pump, it's but not just crude oil. Do you know where we're at? Are refining? Do you know where we're refining right now? What, what what percent of capacity we're refining at right now? Yeah, I do. We're ninety three point seven, which is basically one hundred percent. Right. So even if we could refine more, it's not going to. I mean, that six or seven percent we're talking. That's not going to make a difference. Doesn't make a so, difference. It doesn't so, make a difference. Do you guys see the the interview with Mike North of Chevron last week? His comments where he yeah. was he was talking about refining space, refineries, mm -hmm. and he said, boldly said that there will never be another refinery built in this country at all. And his reasoning right. was that, that it's a 10-year timeline before mm -hmm. you, you make money. The investors need 10 years out. And the energy policy brings around like a pin, pinball around here. They have no idea what's going to be. Like Bobby said, in five years, you move out. And that's exactly what he said as well. And it was just so stark when he said, it. oh, yeah, there'll never be another yeah. refinery built. So, again, it, it, it's oh surprise the consequences of our actions are here. 
uh, I mean, this is just the way it happens, right? Can I, get, can, I, can I go back to the brass tacks? So this is what I want to say, because I don't want to seem like a, a wimp here, uh, because I understand that we only have interest rates in a Fed runoff that can help uh, with that inflation problem, right? But here's where I'm coming from, guys. You know, you pull up and a woman in front of you at the gas, she can only put in seven or eight bucks. And that used to get her a couple, three gallons. It gets her one and a half now, okay? They're upset. Uh, people at Costco that can't pay their bills when they get up to the register because it's gone through the roof. I I'm saying to you right now, I understand the Fed's ideas, but I don't think that they're really taking stock of the fact of how bad it is on the ground right now. And I think that, that I, I, I can kind of blame them, but I can't blame them because it's happened so quickly. In the last eight months, it's got eight weeks, eight weeks, sorry, not months, weeks, it's gotten that bad. And the, the reason why I say that is this. I don't, I don't believe the 11 million Joel's jobs openings at all, because let's just say they're true. And let's just say, I'm going to give you two hypotheticals. We do print a minus GDP the second quarter. How in the hell are we getting into a recession with a 3.6% unemployment rate and 11 million jobs open? It doesn't make sense to me. And I've been doing this job long enough. It doesn't make sense to me. Something's wrong. So what well, are you suggesting about the jolts? That. Are they double listing, triple listing jobs? What I don't know. I don't, I don't. I think it's got to do with gig workers. I think it's got to do with they're not taking into consideration what's going on. The, the, I think the, uh, the employment landscape has changed way faster than the way that we measure it. Okay. And I, how in the heck are we having 11 million jobs open and we had a minus GDP in the first quarter just right there? How does that so happen? I got, I got three things for you guys. And so Jimmy may or may not confirm the first thing I say. Number one, the Jolt's job is real in restaurants. All right, the restaurant, and my brother has a restaurant. He cannot find workers. We come down here, we go to a place, we want to sit outside. They're like, we're not seating outside because we don't have enough employees. So at least in that sector, I don't know about the rest of it. That's number one. Number two, we won't get classified as a recession, even though we'll be in one. That's my right. theory. I agree. I know it's about. We all grew up. Look, we all grew up with the technical definition of an inflation being two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Recession. We just had one. The Atlanta Fed GDP estimate is at zero right now. Right. So we could potentially have two in a row. But neighbor, uh, National uh, Bureau of Economic Research, will say that employment, uh, we're too close to full employment to classify this as a recession. So my prediction is we'll be in a recession, but they won't classify it as one. But, 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 we have to, but you have to be commonsensical, right? That's the great thing about growing up with a dad that had a farm. If it's raining, we don't go outside without an umbrella, right? It's that simple. So if you're going to tell me that we're in a recession, we have full employment, one of them's wrong. Either we're not in a recession or either we don't have full employment. That's simple, right? And if you can see what I see and you can see the pain on the streets and people that don't have enough money to do the things they normally do, they're making decisions about whether they put gas in their tank or feed the kids. And by the way, you can't find any food for your kids. A whole other story. Then I think that maybe the Fed's jolt number is wrong. Because I think that that gig economy and the way that we measure that is just outdated. But, but I'm, it's pure speculation on my behalf. No, I, don't no, I, have, I have some information. I, don't, I did read an article. There's some data about ghost listing on jolts and what the motivation was behind it. I cannot quote it because I don't remember exactly what it was, but I will say that you're not alone in your theory that the jolts number may be overstating the amount of open jobs. Bobby, do you have any idea what I'm talking about or no? Yeah, I've seen the same thing. Um, there's yeah. a lot of data that's in question. There's a really, really smart guy. Um, his, last, his last name is Weinstein. I don't remember his first name, but he works over Brett. at, uh, what's that? Brett, oh, Brett's maybe? brother, Brett's brother. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, he works over with Peter Thiel at uh, uh, what's his hedge fund? I know of Peter. I don't know him personally. I got to I got to find him. Here he is, Eric Weinstein. He's a, he's a managing director um, at Peter Thiel's hedge fund. I don't remember the name of the hedge fund right now, but Eric Weinstein has an entire paper that I can't understand because it's just simply too high level math for me, showing us how wrong CPI is. Okay, and how just just the complete calculation of it is asinine. Is it and underestimated? It's underestimated? Yep. It's, it's underestimated because of, it's underestimated what he calls a pain threshold. By a factor um, of what? By about a factor of two. 
So that was the conclusion. Now the conclusion is a number should be listed as lower, but it should be taken more seriously. In other words, he says like people look at 2% CPI or PCE as being okay. He goes, it's actually double that and much worse than it is. So he says, you can listen to PI. It's way too complicated for me, but he basically says it's a joke. And we talk about jolts potentially being a joke. We talk about uh, the employment number that U6 might be a better estimate of how many people are actually unemployed because it doesn't take the participation rate into account. There's all these pieces of data. And I always sit there and think, I'm like, well, I mean, I got to make dinner with what I have, right? With the ingredients I have. So I got to try and figure out this actually brings me to a question, Scott, because I agree with 99.8% of what you're saying, which, but it, it comes down to with that kind of a prognosis and adding in Jimmy's, what I guess think is a fact that there'll never be another refinery in this country. Would you ever advise someone, and you're not a financial planner, um, none of us are, to buy stocks ever again? You know, uh, me? Both of you. Jimmy, you answer first. I'll tell you what my well, answer is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't advise. I'll tell you what I do. And I'm, I'm still long. I mean, I'm not flat stocks. I'm looking for things to buy. I, I think that, you know, now we're off, we're off 24% at our, at our lows. I think that there's proper valuation. Um, I do think there's going to be a pivot. I think that we're going to get back to more sensible economic policies. Oh, in about four or five months. Um, probably prior to the election when people see the things that don't work. So I have to say that I'm still a bear of the stock market, I think down 30%. But you have to factor in the fact that 40% of the money supply has been tossed in over the last two years. That money, I mean, the, 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 whatever you're buying with that money has to stay high in price. And I'm not, and again, we talked about crude and we talked about the, you know, the Atlanta Fed sticky CPI, things that don't change price very much being up 7%. But the stocks and real estate are in that too. I think they're not going to go to zero in either of those. Just there's not these enormous market positions built up. So I have to disagree with you on that. I don't, I starting now, I don't hate the stock market. I think it's going down 30%, but I think if you've been on the sidelines a long time, I'm putting some more money to work. Am I an idiot, Scott? No, I mean, it's down 23% as we speak, right? I mean, I didn't take yeah. a look at today's, you know, so, and, and as my old man would say, what do you think it's going to go to zero? And by the way, if you want to bet on the sun exploding and you win the bet, what do you win, right? We're all dead anyway. So I agree with you there. Um, my issue is this: I look at the stock market like it's an old, like I like like why it was initially put there in the first place. Good companies want to raise capital and do good things and produce good products. All too often, you get caught up in that hysteria of some new bell and whistle or something newer. And, and I think that's bad for the stock market. I really do, because that gets all the hype because it's got outsized returns. But I don't think the stock market is a bad thing at all for somebody that wants to invest. Look, if you would have bought the high every year since 1929, you'd be a billionaire. Yeah. Bobby, you seem to have a different opinion. No, I don't have a different opinion. I wrote a book that I never published. It's literally sitting right here. Um, and the title of it was Rent the Bull Market, Don't Own It. And that's really what I believe. Rent the Bull Market, Don't Own It? That's good. Yep. And that's really what I believe, is that you should be buying stocks. Uh, I don't pick bottoms. I wait for the bottom to show itself. And then I kick, try to catch a portion of it on the way back up. And then I get out. And then I buy something else. And I try to catch that on the way up. Or in the case of futures, which we all trade, um, I'll short something and, and as it's on its way down. You know, the real way to make money, in my opinion, is not buy low and sell high. It's buy high and sell higher. Um, I think that's, that's very, that's very good. Advice. So, yeah, I, yeah, you know, if you have the time and ability to look at these things and say, I want to get in here and get out there, it's it's an easier path. If you don't no, yeah, you just got to buy it because of what Scott said. Well, let me jump Scott, in real quick before, yeah, before sure. we go. I, I, uh, I totally agree with that estimation what Jim or uh, what uh, Bob just said there and and that's how I mean I am now starting to finally get the calls from family and friends with their hair on fire oh my god my life is over and usually when that starts to happen we start to carve out a low okay when people are starting to sell get me out I can't take it anymore because this is the time oh you didn't want to sell 20 percent ago now you want to sell down 40 
I mean, what's your thought process there? Want to lock in that loss? I'm getting those calls. I'm getting people t- asking me for my advice. I, I have the licenses to manage their money. I just don't do it because I'm on TV and I, it's too dangerous of a playground for me. But I would say this. Just by the calls and texts I'm getting, I'm feeling like we're getting closer. All right. That's a good way to, uh, to, to branch into our trading preference. So, Scott, normally when we do this podcast, the macro guy stays on for about 20, 25 minutes. You've been here a half hour. Now we usually buy them, and then Bobby and I talk about trading all the things we talk about. You, of course, are welcome to stay. Uh, it's totally up to you. What, or if you want to go, just hit the goodbye button and be gone with you it. Break, what do you want? You, break, you broke up. Say that again. You broke up. Hang so, on. Oh, normally if, we say do, that if you don't mind, I want to throw one question in for the two of you, sure. and then we can either let Scott go or he can choose to stay and listen to our trades if he wants to. I got to go. I got to go. I, okay. One last question then, and I want you both to tell me I'm struggling with this. There's two things I struggle with, and I'm a capitalist. What why am I wrong in not liking that private equity is buying homes and then renting them out? And as a secondary question to that, why shouldn't a company be able to buy a life-saving drug and jack up the price if they want to? Well, I'll answer it first, Scott, and then you go. So for the, the buying the life-saving drug. Okay, we want people to make money because it brings more people in uh, to the market to do things. But some of these markets are so heavily regulated and so heavily dominated by a few players that it makes very difficult. So that's what makes that part confusing. The part about the housing though, is they're getting rates to borrow at that nobody else can. In a normal world, and I guess we, you and I talked about it with someone else in the show too, with Carol. And in a normal world, I would say, yeah, let the chips fall where they may. But I do agree that there should maybe be a roadblock put in to disrupt private investment interests for buying, not, I mean, they're not a small amount, 20% of the homes over the last years, or 18%. I, I'm hyperbolic a little bit. But to me, yeah, I think it's a terrible thing. And I want, I mean, they get to borrow at 0%, actually, whatever. It's, it's a messed up situation. Scott? All right. Well, <clears throat> when it comes to the housing, I've said, and at some of those meetings, we were buying tranches of, uh, of real estate after the 2008 crash, right? I sat in it because I bought a place in 06 in Arizona. It doubled in value and then it went down by five, you know, like by 80%. I mean, it was, just, I, I all of a sudden became an investment went to a marriage. I was going to have it till I died, right? And I still have it. And it's now finally come back and I'm afraid it's going to come off another 30% again. I have um, one which too. Is fine. Huh? <laughs> I have one in Arizona too. Go ahead. Yeah. Just <laughs> fine. But I, 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 it's not, it's disingenuous that they get to borrow at rates that, regular people can't borrow at that's not that's not right but if you don't like it then we need to put something in there that makes it not possible because they're just doing whatever is legally possible and lo and behold you have no idea of whether or not your money managers might have put money into a fund that invests in those guys and that's how they get the capital to do what they're doing i i don't know but i i don't like it it doesn't feel right um but that that's just one of the uncomfortable consequences of capitalism. What was the first question again about stocks? Well, it wasn't about stocks. It was basically about uh, the same question with pharmaceuticals. You know, if we're free market capitalists, which all three of us really are, these are two parts of the free market I don't like. Somebody goes out and buys a drug and jacks up the price. They should be able to. All right, well, I have an answer. Ashley's got an answer. What's your answer? And it's gotta be within five seconds. Okay. Capitalistic society, yes, obviously, um, that is how you operate. Um, but I also believe in compassionate conservatism. And when we are talking about a product, this is not rollerblades. This is not a cooler that's going to keep your ice frozen for 12 days. If we're talking about something that is saving somebody's life, um, Listen, if we are ever going to have red tape and regulations, which we have far too many of, but if ever there was a time to have regulations, that's what it should be. Don't, if, if that's, that's fair. Why. I like it. That's fair. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. This is in a perfect world. I agree with that answer. It's a good answer. If you, if you as a person, 
come up with a life-saving drug that's that really you know groundbreaking cures cancer i've always thought and this is from my when i was in high school you should be rewarded hundred thousand percent yeah should be paid for that you should be rewarded for that but i would reward that person like this um you and your corporation that you work for never have to pay taxes again i love it i mean <laughs> right you i mean something more personable than you're gonna rip the ass out of the world for this drug like that the pharma guy did pharma bro right yeah i think that they should reward you with something it's like a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, and you don't okay. have to pay for the but rest of your R and D money. But uh, we need R and D money to go toward pharma. I mean, so there has to be the promise of reward. Now that's yes. an interesting reward. But, yeah, but if you I put mean, money, yeah. in, if you put money in, and you're part of that, your tax rate goes from twenty to ten. I like it, Scott, for uh, governor or mayor or well, president, honest, whatever the hell you want. Pharma doesn't want any of these diseases to be cured. Right, here we go. Then they stop She's got the light bulb money. theory. She doesn't want, she thinks the people that make light bulbs don't want to make them not burn out, right? That's her theory. Of course, but planned obsolescence, it's called. It's been theory forever. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Okay, we got, listen, we got to get to the trades. I got to get the hell out of here at some point in time. It's Friday. I, I got a restaurant to run. Scotty, oh, thank yeah, you, yeah. Ashley. Thank you. See you guys. See you, Ashley. See you, Scott. I take it easy, guys. Thank you. Have a good weekend. So, so Bobby, the first thing I'm going to hit on is um, we talked about equities. Yeah. Uh, I'm still believe that we're in a bear market. I still believe that. Look at Scott still here. <laughs> I wanted to hear what you're saying about me. Bye. Oh yeah, no, push it. I was going to say terrible things about you. Uh, so, I, so I believe. I don't know that the how to get out of this fucking thing. I'm just, just kicking just him out. Kill the whole screen. I'm <laughs> kicking him out. You hit exit. Literally, you hit exit. This is our best podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked him out. <laughs> okay. First trade, the stock market. Okay. We've several different times talked about bear market rallies happening. We both still are in the camp that we probably have more downside. I'm certainly firmly in that camp. Yeah. I like the way we closed on Friday. I like the way we rallied. What do you got to close at? Uh, we remember we taped the show on Friday afternoon, people. Yeah, I've so, got the close uh, at um, 3681. Yeah, right about that. So, okay, I'm long the SEP micros. Uh, I'm staying the long of 3690. I got in a little better than that. I just thought that's where I may buy it again as it rallies to it, if it rallies to it on Sunday night or Monday. Um, with the target of 3790 in the upside, so 100 on the upside. One of the reasons we like micros, by the way, is you put on a couple of these and you can have a wider band of your trade. If you if you had on a you know a full one on fifty bucks a ticket at fifty bucks, granted you make uh, fifty times a hundred bucks you know five grand on the upside, but also you it can fly in your face if it's just a hunch trade. My stops placed at thirty six thirty nine on the downside, which would be two lows. I like it because it defended its lows and bounced into the close on Friday. Do you think I'm an idiot? No, I think you'll get your profit. I actually think it'll go higher than that. So one of the things I like is I like the way that we closed out today with that sort of long move toward positive from negative. Um, I also, so your target is just below the May 20th low, which is a good place to put it. I but I actually right, yeah. think we'll get up near, we'll get above 3,900 on this next move up. That's my belief. And I, and I believe it's a bear market rally. I don't think it's some sort of crazy turnaround we should all be buying. But for this type of short-term trade, I like it a lot. I think once we get up above 9,800, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you exactly approximately where I think we're going to get to. I think we're going to get to about, let's call it 3,898. Okay. We get up there, we crap, maybe spike above 3,900. And I think that's where I'm going to start to look for short trades again. This particular trade, look, everybody is saying, is this capitulation yet? Is this cap capitulation yet? Meaning they're looking for a place to buy. There's always going to be people that think they saw capitulation and as long as there's people asking about capitulation, then we haven't seen it yet. No, where right? people just forget this whole thing and they're like, no, right. this is a stupid like, game. I don't want to buy it. anything. I am out. Just get me out. That's capitulation. That's we haven't capitulation. seen that yet. I think this trade will work. 
So this in the micros, that's 100 ticks to the upside is 500 bucks if you hit your target. If you're stopped out at your level at 36.39, that's losing 255 bucks if you're stopped out there. What's your trade, Bobby? So I am short silver, okay? No! Yeah. <laughs> now, for me, this is very short term, okay? For me on the silver trade, it's very short term. Um, my target on this particular trade well, first of all, I'm short at about 2160. Uh, so I'm a little underwater versus the settlement. Let me just double check the settlement on that, unless you have it in front of you. I got to close yeah, right on the close, 2160. So I'm short right on the close. My target on this one is only 2042. So it's only about a dollar 18 lower. And my stop is basically 2257. Um, I like an extension of the down move similar to the reason I like the up move on EES. Okay, I think we're gonna get a little bit of a rally, we're gonna get a little bit of weakness in precious metals. Now, overall, I think precious metals go a lot higher. I still have a long-term long in gold. I've had it since last July. Okay, and I think the recession play is actually gonna help that trade. But in the short term with yields falling lower, yields were up on the week, but they were lower on Friday at the close. Right, I think this trade is likely to get me to my top to my target. The technicals look good to match this up, um, but I am fading a double bottom. So if it goes and triggers a double bottom, that's basically right where my stop is, and I'm out. So I ultimately I don't dislike it. Here's what I what I would say what would caution me is you saw after just yesterday and Thursday, Swiss National Swiss National Bank raised rates, Bank of England talked about raising rates. I don't think they actually did anything. Um, ECB, I'm not sure what they're doing. But anyway, that day then, the dollar did crack a little bit. Then on Friday, it made some of it back up. But if those countries start to get serious about fighting inflation and defending their currency, our currency could crack and silver and gold, I think, would, would rally. Yeah. I don't really see that happening in earnest. That would be just something I had on my radar. Um, because I, I have, other than that, I have zero problem with this. You know, I've been, I'm long silver and I'm long gold and I, yeah. I hate myself for those trades because they've been painful, but I don't I like I don't them both trade. because again, that's more of a marriage than an affair. Yeah. We got a yeah. theme in this podcast. Totally. No doubt about it. That's more of a marriage and an affair. I'm married to gold yeah. as well. I just, I'm doing something with silver on the side. So let's talk really quickly last week's trade. And last week I put up two trades the gold and yeah. the tenure. Tenure's working just fine. It was working great. Now it's working good. The gold, lessons learned here. We had an outside dangle. This is last week's show. We had an outside day on Friday. And at 18, um, 1880 was the high. And my I had a brilliant stop-in trade at 1882, which 1882 and the half was the high on Sunday night, Monday morning. And then it absolutely cratered. So the lesson learned is this, is that you know, technical analysis only goes so far. And sometimes you see those breakouts. And if it's a level that you're expecting an acceleration and a follow through, it might behoove you to put your stop in a lot tighter than mm -hmm. where that 1845 was, which was 55 bucks um, lower, because you know that that level is of some importance. And actually, even looking at how it happened proves that that level was some importance. They shot for it and then they whipped it around and stuffed it. Um, so next time if I had to do that again, and it was important breakout level, I, I would stop myself in just the same, but I'd have had my stop a lot tighter. Thoughts? So one of the things people think about stops, especially retail traders, they'll be like, oh, they're hunting my stop. They're hunting my stop. I worked at a hedge fund. I worked at an institution. I worked at a prop shop as well as brokerage. I never remember anyone hunting stops. The, the reaction that people think they hunted my stop, the reason people get stopped out and then it goes the other way is because a lot of people look at charts and a lot of people put their stops in the same areas. It's part of the reason that as things went more electronic and HFT took over, I started doing smaller and smaller position sides and wider and wider trades with longer duration, right? Simply because I didn't want to be involved in this, right? Um, they don't hunt stops. What happens is as you get closer and closer to a key level, people still just start panicking, pressing the sell button. They cancel their stop and get out to try and save themselves a little bit of money. So you either have to do what you just said, tighten the stop up and be right, right away or out, or they need to shrink the position size and stretch these things out a lot more. So I think yeah. you're right in saying that. Okay, good. So let's get on to my last one is tenure. And again, I had a tenure trade from last year too. I think rates are going higher and I've been right. I was real right now. I'm just kind of right. Yeah. Um, 
327, the 10 year was the June micro. I think yeah. it's a buy at 327 with a target of four still on the upside. I'm keeping my same form. The reason I want I like this trade is because the stop seems pretty easy to me. I think three this uh 3% is a solid, solid support yeah. level in 10 year. So I put the stop at 285. So that trade makes $730 if you hit your stop on the upside and loses 420 on the downside. Thoughts on that? I love your stop. Let me tell you my three most important levels on the 10-year on yield. 313 and a half, okay? Um, 307 and 295. Those are my three critical levels and your stop is below all three of them. That'd be like literally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use a superhero analogy again. You know, a uh, superhero runs through the first wall, then there's another wall, then there's another <laughs> wall. Excuse me. It gets harder and harder to break through those walls and stops work yeah. the same way. So you get through one support level, it gets harder and harder and harder to break through the next, and you're below three support levels the way that I look at markets. I also like the pattern. What happened with the 10-year yield is it broke out up. It went up to about 347, 348, came back down and tested its breakout area, and so far it's held. So if that holds, you'll get your profit on this one. Good, I like it. Okay, I have messages for our potential sponsors. Don't watch this episode because it got <laughs> a little rough in the beginning. This is a bad one for you to watch, okay? And I know we're talking to some people here, but to go back to another one that's cleaner and <laughs> thoughts. Yeah, I do want to tell everybody, we, we got some phenomenal shows coming up. Not the least of which being, not the least of which being a super show where we've got both Cameron Dawson and Amelia Bordeaux at the same time. Um, that one is going to be spectacular simply because these are two of the smartest people out there. I right? so in terms of like macro analysis, they both do some crazy work that, you know, if you're not reading it, uh, reach out and I'll try and figure out a way for you to read it. Um, the next show specifically as well. Um, we just had Scott Shelley in this show. The next show we've got Bill Baruch. Uh, we got Mike Arnold coming back and we got Jim Bianco. We got Anne-Marie. Uh, I can't say her name right. Anne-Marie. It's Anne-Marie. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been talking back and forth with her for years. I think she's, she's brilliant. And I don't know how to pronounce her last name either. Yeah. Don't I, tell her that. Out the show, but just so you guys know, we got some phenomenal shows coming up. So make you make sure you subscribe to this stuff. Follow me on Twitter. Follow Jimmy on Twitter. Uh, we'll keep retweeting it to keep you happy on it all. Okay, and thanks for the support, you guys. Uh, you know, I like my thing is to hang up in the middle of discussion here, so. He still doesn't know how to do it. He still doesn't know how to do it. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>